great morning, right, Rolling Hills? Y'all having a great time this morning? Man, I tell you, the 8 o'clock is really more alive than you sometimes. I don't really, I don't understand. Like, y'all have had coffee, you've been awake, I don't get it. I, I won't say, that, I mean, but we, we need to work on just being awake. Hey, we're so glad that you're here. I'm so glad just to be able to, to open up God's Word together this morning, uh, to sing songs together, to open up God's Word together. And, and this morning we get to celebrate communion as we close this series. And if you've been around, we've been working through a series called Finding Our Focus. As we launch this new year, 2020, and this new decade, we're, we're asking God to give us a focus on what He has for us. Right, and it's been pretty awesome, and, and it's, it's still kind of surreal to even say it, right? It's the new year. Some of you have gotten uh, a little uh, advanced in age, like myself, and you realize that, that years kind of pass by a little bit quicker, right? Anybody? Amen? Still no participation. Great. So, uh, you know, I, it used to feel like it was a long time from January 1 to, to December 31st, and now it's like a minute, and it's gone Right, I've already started buying Christmas gifts for next year. That's not true. The, but it, it, it's still kind of surreal to think. It's 2020, and then we have this decade in front of us. And, and I know that some of the, the, the incredibleness or, or the gravity of 2020 is associated with that reality of, of, it, of 2020 being kind of likened to our, our, our focus and our, what we see and how we see things. I mean, the reality for, for us that it's associated with vision, and, and we know how important vision is. Scripture tells us that without vision, the people perish, right? But, but even past that, like our, just our normal sight, what we can see, that's, it's important to us. And we know that because, like, for those of you who have contacts, you'll know what I'm talking about. When you forget to take them out at night and you wake up in the morning and it's, like, cloudy and you think, oh, gosh, is this how it's going to be for the rest of my life? I, I can't walk around in a cloud like this, right? I mean, anybody that's contact people? No? Okay. Still, we're killing it. That's a, that's a thing contact people go through. Or, or you, maybe you've pushed it off a little bit, but you know how distracting and disorienting it is when those words on the page are not nearly as clear as they used to be for close-up and you got to stretch it out, right? Yeah, it can be just, thank you, amen, Woo! Right. Holy Spirit's moving now. Or, or you know that showstopper, right? When that piece of fuzz flies in your eye and like everything stops until that gets out, right? We will stop traffic. We'll do anything to get whatever it is. I've seen meltdowns in, in public for, for fuzz in the eyes. So we'll do anything to fix our vision. We'll even go to the eye doctor and, and get glasses. And, and that is publicly, I will acknowledge if you're an op to model it, whatever. Uh, if you're one of those guys, like that's one of the places that I experience the most anxiety in life, right? And it's, it's just a reality. You go in and you sit in that chair and, and I've got to do this this on Friday. And so you sit in that chair and this, this little thing they put in front of you. Can you imagine your kids have never seen this and they walk in and dad looks like this now? Like, I mean, it's terrifying, right? So you have that thing and, and they start asking you questions, right? Does one look better or two? And there's those moments where you're like, I got this, man, because one obvious looks better than two. You're like, I'm going to ace this. I got this exam. And then they switch, and they're like, does one look better or two? And it's like, they're the same, dude. <laughs> and you think, wait a minute, what if, I, what if I missed it? And if I say one's better and it's actually two, then for the rest of the year, I'm not going to be able to see well. And, and then I'm going to have to come back in here and do this again. Like, 
anxiety. I start sweating. And then at some point in that visit, they're going to blow this air dart in your eye while you stare at a barn off in the distance. Nobody knows what that's about. Pray for me on Friday. But as we've opened up this, this year and focused on this passage in, 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 in Luke chapter 2, the whole desire for us is really to say, God, what is your vision for our lives? The whole desire is to say, God, we, we want to know what, what, you, what you want for our lives, to see clearly what's important, and to focus on what God has for us in this new year and new decade and run after it with everything that we have amidst all the onslaughts of distractions that surround us and we know what they are, some good and some bad, we have the opportunity to say, God, we want to choose to focus on you. When we're given the option, is one better or two? We want to rest confidently and your way is better. Your promises are better than what the world offers us. And clearly we see it and we run hard after it. And our study is really centered around this verse in chapter 2, of verse, chapter 2, verse 52 of Luke, where it says this, and really it's all that we know about Jesus from the age of about 12 years old to 30 when he starts his public ministry, when it says this, that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And over the past several weeks, we've studied this, and we've looked at those different aspects. In week one, we talked about him growing in wisdom, and we talked about the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom. In week two, we talked about him growing in stature, and we looked at the fact that we're all fearfully and wonderfully made. If you were here last week, we talked about growing in, in favor with God, and how do we grow spiritually? Pastor Chase did a great job, and this morning, we're going to kind of land that plane with how do we grow in favor with man? What does it look like to grow in favor with man and our relationships with other people? And it's interesting as you open up God's word and look at Jesus' life and his ministry, there were always seemed to be crowds around him or trying to find him. People were interested in Jesus. And so you ask the question, why? Why were people interested in Jesus? And, and we look at the passage, it just this, what we've talked about in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, the word that we have there is that he grew, which means he kept increasing. That as believers, we keep increasing. And then the word for favor is a word that we use throughout, throughout the New Testament for the same word that we, that we find grace. And so just as a, as a picture from this passage, what we can see is that we, as we experience, as we increase the measure of understanding of grace in our own lives, as we experience the grace and patience and kindness and generosity that God gives us, we in turn become people who are more gracious and kind and generous and patient towards others. And that kind of life is attractive to others. And in that kind of life, we grow in favor with man. And we're going to turn it to a passage that I believe really helps us kind of capture this. And First Peter, if you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn there, work through the verses 9 through 17 of chapter 2, where Peter writes uh, this letter to kind of encourage the, the, the church and how to live lives that are attractive, that do point to Jesus and grow in favor with man. Just a little bit of background for Peter. Peter's this Jewish male, and he's a fisherman before Jesus calls him to be a disciple. And he's one of those men who, he's a disciple who walks three years with Jesus. And really, Peter's in, in this inner circle with Jesus and just kind of a, a smaller group of really close guys. 
So he lives that life with Jesus, but Peter's also the guy in the Gospels who denies Jesus on the night of his arrest and on the eve of his crucifixion. Jesus restores that relationship, and he later becomes uh, one, of the, one of the leaders and the central figure in the, in the birth of the church in Acts and a leader in the early church in Jerusalem. And he writes these words, and you just follow along, and it should be on the screen, where it says this. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, it says, But you, speaking to the people of God, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Verse 11, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, abstain from sinful, sinful desires that wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they see your good deeds. They glorify God on the day that he visits. And he continues in verse 13 to kind of illustrate what that good life looks like. And he says, submit yourselves to the Lord, for the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the emperor or to the, as the supreme authority or to governors who, sent, who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live, live as free people, but do not let your freedom, do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. In verse 17, he says, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of God, believers, family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Pray with me as we continue. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the picture that we get of you in Scripture, that you grew in favor, that people wanted to be around you, that they were attracted to the grace and the mercy and the, and the patience that you extended. And we see in, this, in, the, in the passage today, Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to the truth of your word and that we would, live, we would leave here, Father, this morning transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit and the truth that we find in your word, to look more like you, to grow in favor with man, not for our glory, but for your glory, that many would come to know you as their Savior. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Before we jump over to, to the, the outline in your worship guide, there's just a couple things that just really kind of stick out from this passage, and, and really from verse 17, is Peter gives this, this description of what it looks like to live a life that is, that is attractive, that, that grows in favor with man wherever the, wherever the people of God are. In verse 17, he kind of gives us this really four-point summary of that Christian calling, of all of what he's said so far. And he, he kind of says the, the, the four things that he kind of lists is this, that we show proper respect to everyone, that we love the family of believers, that we fear God and we honor the emperor. And so we start with that. What does it look like for us to show proper respect to everyone? It may feel like something that, that's obvious to us in 2020, right? We're so advanced that we, we, don't have to be, we don't have to hear that, right? If your kid goes to an elementary school in Williamson County, I think you've got the Be Kind t-shirt, right? So we know that we're supposed to, serve, to, to give respect and honor to everyone. But for the people that, that Peter's writing to, that would be a significant statement. 
Because this original audience, this people in the Roman Empire, there's estimated at the time that Peter would have written this, 60 million different slaves inside the Roman Empire. Inside the Roman Empire. And these slaves, all 60 million of them, were seen as property, objects, with no rights. There was no dignity given to them. They were not people. They were property. They had no, no rights under the law. And so, it, so he's telling them to, to treat people with respect and dignity that they're, that they're given. And again, it seems foreign to us, but in some ways we can do the same thing even though we don't recognize it. Employers can often treat their employees just as property or, or objects to get the work done. Some of us will sit in restaurants this afternoon and, and our server will look at that person rather than seeing a person, we'll just see them as an object, something that, that, has, that, that runs food back and forth and they're just there to make sure that we are happy. We don't see them as people. We don't honor them and respect them in the way that they deserve according to Scripture. Maybe it's the way that we, we treat individuals who have different values than us, and diff- they maybe look different uh, than us, that, that have different lifestyles than us that we don't approve of. Even if our disapproval is based on what we find in Scripture, we treat them as if they're something different than a person. We don't treat them with dignity and respect that they deserve. And Peter's saying, listen, remember to treat people with dignity and respect that everyone deserves. Because everyone, everyone, is created in the image of God, marked by his image, fearfully and wonderfully made, and they're deserving of the respect and honor as a person, as, a, as, as an individual created in God's image. Secondly, he says, love the brotherhood of believers or the family of believers, and Peter brings it home for us as, as the church right there. In this, he's really kind of getting into our backyard this morning Right, that other, you know, like that's, that's something that happens outside. But really, here he's kind of bringing it into our backyard. He says, listen, the church is marked. The church is supposed to be marked with a, with a deep and abiding love and a bond for each other. Jesus had given the disciples just hours before his arrest and, and the, on the eve of his crucifixion this instruction as he displayed his love towards them and serving them. He says this, he says, as I have loved you, so you must also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, by the way that you love one another. The church, listen, what, the, the dominant atmosphere, the marker of the people of God is a love that we have for one another, that love that we share with one another as the family of God. A family that's not by birth, but by the blood of Jesus that brings us into relationship with each other. And so we love the, the family of God, the brotherhood of believers. The, the third thing that, that Peter says, and, and kind of how do we live lives of, that, that are, grow in favor with man, is that we fear God. The writer of Proverbs, we've said it already this morning, says, he says, fear the fear, of the, Lord is, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom. And it may be a, a better translation or, or a little different translation to kind of capture the essence and the gravity of this, this, this verse to say that, that the fear of God is not just the beginning. It is the foundation. It's the, it's the principal part. It's what everything that is wisdom and knowledge is built on. And the fear that we're talking about, and we've heard this already in, in the previous sermon, that, that this fear is an awe and honor of God. It's not a, it's not a terrified of, of who God is. It's not terror in who he is. 
And really what Peter's saying for us as believers and living and, and growing in favor with others is the simple fact that we will never honor others as individuals made in God's image until we honor the creator who made them. Until we're in awe of who God is. It brings us to, to, to honoring others. And the last thing that he kind of brings in this summary statement in verse 17 is the honor the emperor, honor the king. And, and think about this, is of these four instructions, this may be the most incredible. Because as Peter writes to the people of God and says, hey, this is how you live life in, in the places that you're at. And to grow in favor with God so that others see him and glorify his name. He says, I want you to honor the emperor. And the emperor in this time would have been a guy named Nero, who is historically one of the most wicked of all the emperors of Rome. He had this incredible disdain for Christians specifically. And yet, into that world, Peter is telling the Christians, even though he, he treats you like this, you honor the emperor. And the people that are put in place over us because it's a, it's a trusting that God is the one that's in control throughout the New Testament. That it's repeated over and over again, this, the respect and the honor of those who are leaders over us and authority over us all the way from, from presidents to teachers and bosses because we believe that God puts those people over us even if we disagree with them or they don't treat us with the respect that we think we deserve. So there's a countercultural thought for us. It's kind of, it's kind of a, it runs against the grain for the way that we think. But if, as, as we close, or as we kind of wrap up, what I want to do is, is give us a, a couple of kind of handlebars for us to see what it, how do we do this as believers. And turn to the worship God and kind of fill these in and, and just really kind of give us some principles that we can stand on and leave from here knowing this is what it looks like. This is how we walk in that favor with man and grow in favor with man. And the beginning of that is simply this, that we know who we are. If we're going to grow in favor with man, it begins with us knowing who we are. And Peter gives us such a clear indication and understanding of what that is in this passage. In verse 9, he says this, but you are, know who you are. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into the wonderful light. In a world that is begging to find out, to, to have somebody name their identity, you can do it on Instagram today and find out which Disney princess you are. Scripture tells us exactly who you are. That you belong to him. That you belong to him and it changes everything. Because, because Peter says it, he says, once you were not a people of God, but now you are, once you had not received mercy, but now you have. Throughout scripture it tells us that we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we're alive in Christ. Everything changed because of Jesus. And knowing who we are is essential for us loving others and growing in favor with them. Because we know who we are, we can be confident in Christ. I oh, did that wrong. We can be confident in Christ. Because it's not only who we are, but whose we are. 
We can rest in knowing that we belong to him, that nothing can separate us from from his loving hands, that if you have put your faith in Christ, if you've called on Christ in faith and trusted Christ, you are his possession, and nothing can separate you from that love. Paul writes to us in, in Romans and says, For I'm convinced that neither life nor death, neither angel nor demon, neither present or future, nor nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor any else, excuse me, anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You belong to him. You are his. You belong to him. And as children of the king, that means that we live differently. We don't conform any longer to the ways of this world. But rather, as Romans says, we are being transformed by the renewing of our minds. That our our lives are more and more becoming conformed to the image of God. That we're loving God more and, and loving the things of God more. We value the things of God more than we value the things of the world. We value what he says about us more than what we value what the world says about us and what we can obtain from the things that we can, we can earn here on earth. And we're not conformed any longer to the ways of this world. And as we grow increasingly confident in these things, as we understand more deeply who we are and whose we are, and we, and we begin to walk not conformed to the way of the world, we begin, to look at, we begin to be attractive to others, and people want to be around people who know what they believe. Here's a truth for us, that, that people want to be around people who know what they believe. They're attracted. They, the people in Scripture were attracted to Jesus because of his confidence and his care and his compassion and his convictions. In Matthew chapter 7, at the end of this incredible sermon that he preaches that we're about to start working through as a church in the next series, it, this, this incredible sermon that he preaches, which is not easy things that he talks about. They're hard truths. At the end of that, the people say... It says in, in, in chapter 7, it says, When Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed by his teaching because he taught as one with authority and not as the teachers of the law. They were attracted to him because he was confident. And when we grow in our understanding of who we are and we become confident, more and more confident in who we are, people are attracted to that. Because we understand that the grace that we've been given is something that we give to others. Second thing that we do as we grow, as we grow in favor with man, is our good deeds would point to Jesus. If we're going to grow in favor with man, our good deeds are going to point to Jesus. You can see in the passage, it's what Jesus, what Paul writes. It says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. So we ask ourselves, how do we we serve in ways that point to Jesus? In in our homes, husbands, how are you serving your your wife and your kids in ways that point to Jesus? Or are we trying to outserve one another? Husbands, are, are, we, are we longing to outserve our wives? Wives, are you, are you working to outserve your husbands or your, your husband? One. <laughs> Kids, are you working to outserve your parents? I mean, could you imagine life in a house where each of us are outserving each other? Like, no, 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 I want to do the dishes. 
Let me unload the dishwasher and wash the clothes. I mean, fights like that would make us look really weird because we would be. <laughs> How are you serving your neighbors, stepping in when, they, when you know there's a need, bringing a meal when you know they're walking through a tough time, mowing their grass when you don't even want to mow your grass, but knowing that it's something that they need in that moment? How do we serve others? Maybe, honestly, the greatest way that we can serve the people that are around us in the neighborhood, in our neighborhood, in our community, is simply by being kind to them. It may be the most evangelical thing that we could do, the most Christ-honoring and gospel present, most clear gospel presentation that we could give to somebody is just to be kind to them and treat them with dignity and respect in the way that we love them and serve them. And in the midst of that, we, we check our motives. We check our motives. Ah, whatever. <laughs> We're always checking our motives, asking God, what am I, who am I doing this for? Am I doing this for my own recognition or for people to celebrate me? Is this something to elevate my status in this group of people? Would I be doing this if nobody would ever find out that it was me? Or even better, if somebody else got the credit? Check my motives. We don't have to be weird if somebody comes and tells you, thank you for serving, right? You don't have to strike them down. We've all been there, right? When somebody, when you come to tell the, the pastor or somebody who leads a song, like, you did a great job, and they're like, no, it was Jesus. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. It's fine. I usually say thank you. We're glad that God gave me the opportunity. It's Jesus that moves us to do these things. We don't have to be weird, but we check our motives. And, and when we find out that our motives maybe are in the wrong, wrong place, it doesn't stop us from serving. It means we reset and put the motives in the right place to glorify him and not ourselves. Another way that we can we live lives is that we get involved in our community. Our good deeds are going to point to Jesus, and we're going to be attractive to those who are around us growing in favor. We're going to get involved in our community. We're going to fight that temptation to drive in, into the garage and hit the button and never be seen again until the next morning when it, come, when it rises up and we back out. We're going to get involved. I mean, the, the, the lowest entry point is maybe you just go to your kids' fair at their school. Maybe that, entry, maybe that step is that you serve on the PTO or your HOA and you're like, T, stop it. I'm not saying be the board chair. Maybe just going and being involved is where we need to be. Serving in, 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 in different ways, stepping in, maybe helping our kids coach or helping coach our kids' teams or being involved in some, some extracurricular activity that, they, that they're involved in as a way that we step into and get involved in our community. And listen, I'm not saying do this in, in, in replacement of serving at your house because honestly, no serving in your community is going to replace your failure to serve at your house and with the family that God's given you there. Stepping in and serving and being involved is a way that we grow in favor with others. And then, not only that, are we gonna have, our walk is going to have to equal our talk. What we say we believe is what we're going to have to display in the way that we walk. In verse, in, in verse 15, Peter writes this, for, for it is God's will that in doing so, 
You should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. If we talk about being Christians, we've got to live it. If we talk about being Christians, we've got to live it. We can't just tell our kids to do as we say and not as we do. It doesn't work that way. We can't live lives out front of people that doesn't reflect the convictions and what we say we believe in, in, in private or, or just because you go to church and that people know that you don't live like that. We can't do that. It's got to match. And this may get in some of our backyards a little bit, but it, it also means that the, the, the life that we present on social media and what we say on social media matters. Do you always just present the perfect Or are you always complaining about your spouse or your kids and the fact that it snowed and you've got to be with them for the day? Are you always complaining about politics? Does that really reflect a life that's been transformed by Jesus and a love for others that results in that transformation? You know, it's sobering the, real the sobering reality that a lot of non-believers, they don't want to come to church because of hypocrisy. Because they say the church is full of hypocrites. And honestly, I don't disagree with them. We, uh, we know that none of us are perfect, but there's this scathing reality. That we know none of us are perfect, but we're striving to do this, this scathing, uh, kind of crushing quote from Gandhi that he says this, that, that I like your Christ. I just don't like your Christians because your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Listen, we know we're not perfect, but we're striving to live out the faith that we confess we believe, to live like, we, live like what we say matters and what we believe actually influences how we live. Jesus, if, if we look in the scriptures, Jesus lived a life that was full of grace and truth, both. A lot of times we get on one side of that rather than understanding that it was grace, grace and truth, that he came full of grace and truth. And so we are people as believers who are, who are growing in favor with man. We extend grace and we stand on truth. It's both. You know, one of the main reasons why we decided to, to talk about what we're talking about in the beginning of this year is, is to say, hey, listen, we, we want to set the course of living lives that reflect God and, and are godly and preparing to look like Jesus and live like Jesus in 2020. And we're going to have plenty of opportunities to do so. I know that the football season is, is, is coming to an end, and that's sorrow and mourning. That's why I'm wearing all black to the, as that kind of ends. But it's going to come around again in the fall, and I'm going to need the reminder, folks, that God not only loves the LSU Tigers, but he also loves Alabama. <laughs> I'm going to take that shot while I got it. <laughs> but seriously, we need that reminder that God loves your honor student that got your, the sticker in the back, back of your car, and he loves the student that's struggling to stay above a passing grade. That God loves the people who are well off in our community and the people who are on welfare. That God loves Americans and he loves Iranians. And in the, the looming reality of a, in a presidential election in 2020, God loves Democrats 
and he loves Republicans. Conservatives and liberals. We live a life that reflects this reality that God loves. We extend grace. We stand on grace and truth. We're reminded that God's love is not limited to the people that we agree with. The people that are easy to hang out with. What if Christians that lived like, lived like Christians, what if we as believers who confess Jesus begin to look more like Jesus and begin to be known what we're for rather than what we're against? What if we realize that Jesus is for people, all people of every tribe and tongue and nation, as it says, will be at the end of time celebrating his goodness and singing to him in, the, in heaven around the throne, every tribe, tongue, and nation? What if we're people who are for what Christ is for and we're known for that? Jesus is for people, all people. For he so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believed in him, whoever believed in him, would have eternal life, that Jesus' death is sufficient for all who would call on him in faith. He rescues and restores and redeems. And we would believe that and live like that. And if we did that, our favor with man would grow. And not only is it going to take that, but it's also going to take this reality that we're going to focus on Jesus. It just kind of comes back to this all the time. That if we're going to grow in favor with man, it's not going to be because we focus on growing in favor with man. It's going to be because we focus on Jesus. We fix our eyes on Jesus. And in doing so, and when we fix our eyes on Jesus, what we're going to see as the key to growing in favor with man is that we love, that we extend love and grace as we stand on truth. There were people who lavish love on others because love has been lavished on us. That we're proactive in our love because Jesus was proactive. If we're going to love like Jesus loves and grow in favor with man, it means we're going to have to step out. We can't sit back. We're going to have to step out and step in to hard places and hard conversations with people that we may not agree with and love them the way that Christ loved them. Extend grace the way that Christ extended grace to us. One of those ways that we can be proactive, I believe, in, in 2020, just maybe this is a challenge for all of us, that just maybe we are proactive by inviting somebody that we know, that we know is not here this morning and needs to have an understanding of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. For most of us, that person popped in your head and I'm like, okay, that's the Holy Spirit. Let's just go ahead and say that. What are you going to do? Like, T, one, I'm talking one person, 2020. Invite them to church. Not just once, but keep inviting them until they come. What if each of us just invited one person and they came and they got to hear God's message of grace and love towards all people? And their lives were transformed by it. With that person that popped in your head, what if what's happening in their lives this morning is transformed by the grace of God and in 2020, they become alive in Christ? Is it worth stepping into their lives in that way? 
to be proactive the way that Christ was proactive for us, and he came for us. It's going to take being proactive and loving everyone always. If we're going to grow in favor with man, it's going to take loving everyone always. It's become a mantra of sorts around here. It was a sermon series last year, but it's become a way of kind of thinking, a lens that we, we want to think through as we preach, as we prepare, at, at, as pastors, love everyone always. It's what we want to be known for in Franklin and Nashville and Nolensville because it's what Jesus, it's what Jesus is known for in Scripture, loving everyone always. So people would experience that love that we experienced freely in their own lives. You know, at Rolling Hills, our vision statement is very simple. It says that we're a people of God, meaning a body of Christ, reaching out, growing up, giving all. When we talk about reaching out, what we mean is we're people of God who love others enough, in Jesus' own words, to seek and to save the lost. That we're not... We're not here as a, as a country club. We don't exist to be members that get a lot of, get a lot of things that, that, that we can hold on to, but we're partners with a mission and a calling to seek and to save the lost, to extend the love that has been lavished on us and lavish it on others, to extend grace and stand on truth, to grow in favor with man. And it's not only that, but we grow up. What we mean by that is that we mature in our faith and we're being, ever being conformed more and more into the image of God, increasing, increasingly growing in faith in God and obedience to God and a love for God and others. Are we going to grow in our relationship or grow in favor with man? We're going to reach out. We're going to grow up and we're going to give all. We're going to give all because we're going to focus and invest on what's important what really matters. And it comes back full circle. The reason we started this is we want to focus on what God has for us. And giving all means we're going to focus and invest on what really matters. We have a limited amount of time. Our days are marked out for us. It tells us in Job that he knows the number of our days before we were ever born. We have a limited amount of time, but this is our day. What are we going to do with it? We're going to love the way that Jesus loved. We're going to live out that faith and grow in favor with men. And we can do that in so many places. You can do that in, 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 with serving with Justice and Mercy International, JMI, and, and all over the world. Or you can do it serving at, at the wrapping station or a Saturday serve or, or, or even Father and Son Bowl that we need volunteers for even today. It happens next week to display this love of God that's been lavished on us and point to Jesus, to grow in favor with our community and with, with man, to understand that they would be drawn to Christ. Finding our focus in, in 2020 means that we fix our eyes on Jesus and his vision for our lives, that we rest in his love, that he has lavished on us, and we lavish that on others. This morning... What's incredible about a, the, our morning as we wrap up is there's one side, there's an invitation for those who maybe don't have a relationship with Christ. 
If you're trying to wrestle with that, I want to invite you to come and have a conversation. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to have a relationship with Christ. The other side, what's incredible is that we get to celebrate as a church, as the people of God, communion. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, it said that he took the bread, and after he blessed it, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And likewise, after, the, after dinner, he took the cup, and he said, this is my blood that was poured out for you. And he says, do this in remembrance of me, because every time you do this, you drink the, drink the cup and eat the bread, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And as we gather at the tables here today, We all come together recognizing that it's Christ's blood broken, Christ's body broken and blood poured out. That's our redemption and and the invitation that was sufficient for us to have a relationship with Jesus. We come as a family recognizing that each of us are in need of that. And Christ's blood not only made us peace for us with him, but it makes peace for us with each other. And we are a family of God that's marked by those who love each other deeply. And at the same time, we take the bread and the cup, we're reminded of this great call to share the life that Christ has given us through his death with those who don't have a relationship with him. So I ask our, those of you who are serving this morning, A6 leaders, to go to the tables. And I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing, uh, sing a song as you go to the, to the tables and take the bread and the the cup, all of our stations have, have gluten-free or are gluten-free, so if that's a concern for you, don't, you don't have to have that concern. As you take the bread and, and, and dip it in the cup, you don't have to wait till you come back to your seat. You can take it there. But, but do this in, in, in being reminded that we join along with centuries of other believers in this practice. Be reminded of the great grace that God has poured out on you. And how when we live as those who have been lavished, that love has been lavished on, and we lavish it on others, that we grow in favor with those who are around us. And God receives the glory and lives are transformed. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for today. And thank you for the time that we've been able to spend singing together opening up your word, and we thank you for this moment that we celebrate communion together as we approach this table as a family. Each one of us in need of the sacrifice that this bread and this cup remind us of. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.